0: So in continuing just with the theme of calling all peacemakers, of, of uh, understanding what was it um, about, um, I mean, so many, I could go down the laundry list of people who have just been so deeply influenced by the work of Dr. King. And then we think, all right, what was Dr. King's primary influence? And so it's interesting, uh, he talks obviously as a pastor, uh, his primary influence, he speaks of the Sermon on the Mount and the person of Jesus. Uh, and what's interesting, too, is Gandhi was a big influence. And when you look at Gandhi's main influences, you have Leo Tolstoy, who was a Christian writer. And Gandhi is quoted constantly saying, man, if you read the Sermon on the Mount, you know, if Christians did more of this, like, oh, my gosh, what, what, what could change in the world? Or he makes statements like, if um, surely Jesus had to have been divine, no human being could have, like, come up with this. And that was in reference to reading about, uh, amongst other things, uh, the peacemaking um, uh, understanding of the world, what it meant to be a peacemaker from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. And what I want to do is look at this unbelievably pivotal and influential passage. I don't have time, and nor would you be necessarily interested in going back through a long history just around this one verse, or this one section of verses, and, and kind of how it's been engaged and influenced, and when uh, the followers of Jesus have been faithful What's interesting about uh, being a Christian is if, we, uh, if you think of the word radicalized, right, is almost always negative. That's why we began with Lonnie and Andrea reading that. Radical, if someone's like radicalized religion or radicalized, we always go negative. But really, radical, it comes from the word like radish root. And so it's basically what is the core tenant of the thing. So it's almost like those who like, oh, wow, you believe that so literally, that's crazy. Right? It's almost like you go too far. And then it gets encompassed in a, in a, in a really like bizarre and often violent or, or odd and quirky kind of way. What I find so fascinating is if someone were to just like drill down and follow, like really literally right on the surface, everything they saw in the Bible, like everything that they read in the person of Jesus, right? Because we know we look back onto the Old Testament and we read Jesus through that lens because Jesus is, we believe as Christians, is like the fullness of God. This is what God looks like with flesh and blood on. And if you did that, you'd be this person who was like, less anxious. You would die for your enemy. Like if you are a radicalized Christian, is somebody who goes around like, dying for their enemy. Like caring for those, like selling their possessions. If you just read everything on face value. And so I think it's really appropriate when Martin Luther King wrote that letter, the Birmingham Joe letter, where he talks about what it means to truly be radical in all the right sorts of ways. Um, this, uh, this text that we're going to read in the Sermon on the Mount... Uh, is something that we as followers of Jesus, um, we so often kind of breeze over as if it's just a call to be nice to each other. And Jesus sort of just talking in these kind of nice mystifying parables, and we don't get down into the heart of it. So I want to set this talk up a little bit um, by reading something to you. Uh, In Stride Toward Kingdom, Kingdom's account of the Montgomery bus boycott. And if you don't know that, just look that up. Uh, He wrote, Quote, from the beginning, a basic philosophy guided the movement. He's speaking of nonviolence. The guiding principle has since been referred to variously as nonviolent resistance, non-cooperation, and passive resistance. So people are are labeling the work that he's doing and these other people around him are doing as nonviolent resistance or non-cooperation or passive resistance. But in the days of the protest, none of these expressions was mentioned. The phrase most often actually heard was Christian love. It was the Sermon on the Mount rather than a doctrine of passive resistance that initially inspired the Negroes of Montgomery to dignified social action. It was Jesus of Nazareth that stirred the Negroes to protest with the creative weapon of love. Those are the words of Dr. King. He says, yeah, of all the theory out there, and that's interesting, and I'm, I'm interested in all of that, really, when this all starts, all this really is, he's like boiling it all down, is good old-fashioned Christian love. So if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, this is not some like, I, I don't know, weird half-whimsical thing to try to get you to convince you of something. Uh, we're just trying to understand what is at the root, what is the radical edge of what is the Christian tradition, of how we understand the world, of how we understand what's true. You have your own ideas of how you understand things to be true. You have your thoughts on what you think is good, of what healthcare should look like, and what love and life and sexuality and all these things. We all, right, Anne Lamont says everybody believes their opinion is right. If they didn't, they would get a new one, right? It's like, Let's call it what it is. Uh, we just think, uh, as followers of Jesus, we, we, we actually agree with the Martin Luther King, and we say, yeah, th- with all this talk, we don't know if we can divorce nonviolence resistance from Christian love. That's really, in some way, at its genesis. And so we want to talk about that, both what it means for followers of Jesus and what it would mean for anyone, whether or not you, you have any interest in Jesus at all. So here's the text. You know what, we sometimes do this in our in our community. If you're cool with that, would you just stand as I read the text? Just sort of a reverence towards this ancient and beautiful book. The words are on the screen. If anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. Actually, I'm going to go back. You have heard it said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. We say, this is the word of the Lord, and you say, thanks be to God. You may be seated. Would you pray with me? I'm feeling a little over-caffeinated. It's always dangerous. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, we thank you that you're with us. We thank you uh, that you've made every individual made in your image, uh, whether they acknowledge you, care about you, are tired of religion, fed up with whatever, or they are here and they are just like excited as ever and on the mountaintop. Uh, Thank you, Lord, that you are uh, a God of love and that you are for us. Uh, And so we, uh, in this time, we just submit ourselves uh, as far as we are able to, to just be open to what is true. And what is good and what is beautiful. pray all this in your name. Amen. So before we start, I want to engage this text. I want to talk about context. Uh, The Jewish people who this is written to, Jesus is a Jewish rabbi. The Jews are under oppression. They have been occupied. This is Roman occupied territory. There have been, before this text was written... Uh, And and before this time that this text is referring to have been revolts against the empire. And there will be times after. Uh, Some folks are are zealots. They want to see the oppressor taken over. They want to push back against the fact. They want their land back. There's been a long time in history that the Jews have not been in their land at this point. They are under heavy, heavy taxation. And we'll get to that in a minute. And so it's in this context... In a poor, oppressed, highly taxed people, the only Jews that have any level of influence, that have any leverage, are the ones who have essentially sold out. Uh, for those of you familiar with the Bible, Zacchaeus. Remember Zacchaeus? Wee little man was he. Yeah. So Zacchaeus, really short guy. And uh, he was a tax collector. And when the Pharisees, the religious folks, go, Jesus, how could you go and sit and eat with that guy? They're not saying that because they're jerks. We love to paint the Pharisees as jerks when really they're kind of just like us. They're the religious people of their time. And the religious people, they go, because the, the tax collectors were the worst. Not only were they taxing um, to, to bring money because they had to get it to Herod, who was the Jewish puppet, half-Jewish puppet king for Caesar. They, they did this um, and also had to skim money off the top. This was their living. So they would just tax on tax on tax. It was really, really awful. These were some of the most hated conniving people. These were the sellouts, Right. This is like the indie band you love and they made a corporate record. Like this is, that's a really not a good analogy at all. In this context, Jesus says, if someone hits you on the right cheek, turn the other one. A couple things. For the Jews, and, and, and still to this day in many Middle Eastern places, the right hand was the clean hand. Everyone just kind of put out your right hand for a minute. Right hand was the clean hand. This is used for eating. Handshakes. This is for high fives when Tom Brady throws the game-winning touchdown today. This is the good hand. The clean hand. The left hand was used for other things. Right? Okay, left hand. Like... Do I have to act it out? Okay, good. This was used for for all sorts of things that were not good. You would use this to clean yourself. You would use this this bad hygiene. It it reminds me of any of you, like, it wasn't until you kind of got married or had, like, a serious girlfriend. um, That was so gender stereotypical, but I'm going to keep going with it. Um, That you, like, learned that you can't really sneeze into your hand. You're supposed to sneeze into this. Like, does everyone know, like, was there a pivotal point in your life where you figured that out or you're still sneezing into your hand? How many of you still sneeze in your hand? You know what I mean? Yeah, it's disgusting. I always did it though, and it wasn't until I, I shouldn't impose my story on you. I it wasn't until I met my beautiful wife that I was corrected constantly of like, Andrew, uh, oh yeah, uh, uh. and then of course you know, once you sneeze in your hand, where does it go? Mm. So I want to get up here to preach. There's always like a light white film um, No, I was kidding. I'm kidding. It's not bad. Just sometimes. Um, Left hand is unclean. Uh, you'd want to wash your hand. So you'd never use your right hand for anything. I mean, I mean, sorry, you'd never use your left hand for really anything of any kind of productivity. This is still, again, the case in many uh, traditional uh, Middle Eastern places. Um, so I need two volunteers. Two people. You got one? Anybody else? All right. Come on up. You want to maybe come up around the side so you don't have to, like, leap up. Actually, can I, this kind of gets weird when it – Nah, that's great, actually. Go ahead. I was going to say this could pr- produce the wrong sort of thing. All right. So, this is – if you want to stand here, out as far that way as you can, and face me, if you want to – what's up, bro? Good to see you, man. Hi. I'm Andrew, by the way. Stacia? Wait, we should do right hand because we don't do things with the left hand. Good. This is great. Okay. So, do you guys see them okay? All right, I'm going to walk through this. So, you only use your right hand. So, uh, you are going to be the attacker. You're just going just gonna to take it, bro. All right. Remember, the Jewish culture, under oppression, this is the, the, the people who are on the underside of power. So, if you were going to, now, pull, put the, can you put the text back up, Chris? So, is it interesting to you that, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. So, is it interesting that it says right? Right? We kind of just breeze over that, like Jesus just arbitrarily choosing, like, a side. Actually, there's something else going on here. So, um, with your right hand, because that's the hand you use. what's your natural place that you would, like, punch him in the face? Just kind of slow-mo... Slow mo, slow mo, punch in the face, not slap. Just go to, go for a punch. So what cheek? What side is that? Your what side? My left side. Your left side. So if you were going to like kind of like uh, you know old school box, if you were going to hit him straight on, so you're looking at each other. How would you hit him with your right hand? You only use your right hand. How would you hit him straight on? Now try to punch him. Now you stay still. That's great. You can pull it back. Now you're intimidating him. If you were if you're going to punch him on on his right cheek. Just give that a try. Yeah, it's a little bit weird, right? It's just kind of awkward. So uh, this is actually a good translation uh, um, where it says slap because it's indicating what really would have been done. So remember, these people on the other side of power. So what would be the most effective way to hit him on his right cheek? you got to only use your right hand. How would you do it? (laughs) Fair enough. If you were to stand still, you would backhand him. So try to hit him on his right cheek by backhanding him. There you go. Beautiful. She actually hit him. Um, This is not going well. So (laughs) this was a power dynamic. If someone treats you like an inferior, if someone comes at you and slaps you and treats you as if you are less, what does Jesus say to do? So if you went to slap him like you did, let's do a little slow-mo. Now turn to her your right cheek. Yep. So this gets a little strange. Because if you were to go ahead and follow through in the slap, she turns her right cheek. So go ahead and slap him. Yeah. All of a sudden you either like kind of, I doubt that the person would miss. But more so just, just sort of like hitting me in the back of the head. What Jesus is actually doing is, is inviting the person to strike them. If someone tries to, if someone slaps you, turn to them your other cheek. You're forcing them to actually go. If you're going to hit them, like, it, it, you're going like, to palm them in the back of the head, like kind of. No, you're going to hit them dead on. This is a way in which if you turn your right cheek and you go to slap, you're going to just turn and punch. This is actually a forcing away. way for someone to actually just, you're going to treat me as an equal. Actually, I'm not going to let you take away my dignity. Can you give them a round of applause? Thanks, guys. You guys can make up after this. I'm going to talk about peacemaking today, so this will go okay. Jesus is referring to um, literally somebody who's in the superior position and making it a bit difficult and awkward. The whole point of the backhand slap was to reinforce inequality. And what you're doing is robbing your oppressor of the power to humiliate you. By turning the other cheek, you're saying, try hitting me hitting me in the back of your hand is not not so much. To say, like, you take it and you would turn your left cheek to be submissive. Now, you can't attack back, but what you can do is force them to not backhand you, but actually treat you. So you turn your right cheek and you force them to hit you right on. This wasn't passive, but sort of almost passive aggressive. So, the next section. Go back to the verse there. If someone takes your coat then give your shirt also. Now remember, 80 to 90% tax rates we're looking at, like unbelievable kinds of poverty for those who are occupied by Rome. The Jews have been conquered. There's this big army which is in need of incredibly high revenues. People are losing family lands. People are oppressed. People who are poor are having to get hired out hourly to work the land. They're experiencing all sorts of shame, humiliation, and guilt. And so it's here and in this part of the story Imagine all you have left is your coat, your poor. And in the story, the debtor, has all he has left is his outer garment, which you would, would serve as sort of a blanket at night. And he's got his like linen undergarment a garment or a tunic or a shirt or something. Now once the creditor says, I, if someone takes your coat, this is a legal language here, if he sues you to take your coat, what does Jesus say? Give them your shirt also. So give them the last garment. So this is your outer garment. Give them your undergarment too. Why would he say this? Viewing nudity or making someone naked was shameful in that culture to the person who viewed it or caused it, not as much the person who was actually naked. It's brilliant. You want to take my in? So if someone sues you and takes the last bit of piece of clothing you have, you know what? Just give them everything, man. It's like, woo. And the shame is actually pumped back on the person who did this. You're in a, in, a, in a courtroom setting, or you're probably in a public square, and this is the move that you pull, right? This is like crazy pants stuff. Jesus is like, you know, someone just wants to like take the last bit you have, this oppressive Roman regime, expose the brokenness of this economic symbol, just of the system, and just you go naked. And all this, I mean, what, what's, the, what's the person, the creditor, gonna do? No, put it back on. Put it back. Put it. Put it back on. Put it back on. Sorry, sorry. Put it back. No, don't. Why are you doing that? And, and maybe there'd be a, a change of heart. So I need two volunteers. To, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> what would you guys know? People just start. Oh my gosh, what kind of church have we walked into? The oppressed person is now acting. The master is now in an awkward position. The genius is that the aggressor actually may change his or her heart, likely his heart, and give the coat back. The debtor stands before everyone and says, here, take everything. Now you have everything except my body. You gonna take the rest? Lastly, you guys catching like the brilliance and like the the cleverness and weirdness of Jesus? You should really consider following him. It's genius. These little subtle things. This is like a tiny section of his teaching. And there's so much here. Lastly, Jesus says, if uh, demanded to walk one mile, then go another. All right. We're in Roman occupied territory. And there you have this law. It's called impressment. You can look it up. Which, among other things, allowed a Roman soldier to like, conscript a Jewish native, so to take somebody who's Jewish, and allow them, or anybody really they occupied, but let's stick with our context here, to carry his equipment. And This is not an easy task. So this was written into the rule. You could say to a peasant, to somebody in the neighborhood, you're going to have to carry my pack. This is like upwards of, uh, it depends. Some certain scholars say like 60 to 80 pounds. Others say it probably was closer to 100. Probably wasn't weapons. But either way, like you can carry, let's say somewhere between 80 and 100 pounds. And you have to carry it a mile Whoever was found on the street could be coerced to do this. It, it's that scene, again, for those of you who know the Bible a little bit, um, Simon, uh, who was forced to carry the cross. Remember that scene where Jesus is carrying the cross, and the person Simon is ordered to come and help Jesus carry the cross? That was actually part of, even though it sounds like a different thing, it was the same sort of impressment that wasn't just like a kind move. Like this was something that could be asked of somebody who was under power. I'm stronger than you, we're in power, we're the ethnic majority, we're the stronger gender. Right? This is the story of history. And there are rules actually baked into the system that literally said, yeah, yeah you can do this. But, now, I don't want to paint the Roman oppressors as like totally barbaric and off the charts. Or anything. There, was, there were rules to this. You could only actually, and here comes the genius, you could only actually carry a mile. You're only allowed to carry one mile. Again, this is really well documented in law around this time. Now, the ranking military official brought slaves or donkeys or horses to carry their packs. But it was the other troops that couldn't, and they were the ones who would often ask. Sometimes, I found this so hilarious. I was reading this the other day. Sometimes whole villages, if they knew like a massive Roman entourage was coming through their town for some sort of military like move, like whole towns would get up and like, dude, I'm not carrying no packs. And they would like run. Because remember, this was, this was like deeply humiliating. This is your land, and these Roman officials are here, and they're treating you as like nothing. So literally, there are a few documented cases that historians have found where they get up and move. They're like, everybody, like the middle of the night, like we are not carrying any packs. So, what's interesting is that Jesus says, if someone asks you to carry their pack a mile, not weird, Go a second mile. This is actually an infraction of military code. If a soldier violates this rule, it could be a number of things that would happen. But their centurion, or their leader, they might fine, uh, they might flog him if it's really extreme. It uh, might put him on a kind of a ration of barley. There's one story, I didn't quite understand the context, I have time to look this up. They forced him to stand all day before the general's tent, holding a clod of dirt in his hands. Apparently that's a form of punishment. Parents, if you're looking to punish your children. Hey, pick up that dirt clod. I don't even know what a dirt clod, what's a dirt clod? Just a, just dirt stuck together? Is there like moss? Is there any other element to the clod? Someone could look up dirt clod and get a report back to me. I'd really appreciate dirt clod. So you just hold the dirt clod, apparently. So there was some sort, some sort of punishment, even if they were buddies. It would be kind of a mild, or at least be a reprimand, but you'd never know. The soldier wouldn't know what kind of uh, infraction they would receive. It's in this context of Roman military occupation that Jesus speaks. He doesn't say revolt, and believe me, there's a lot of Jews who want to revolt. He doesn't say, hey, befriend the soldier, and this is a real story. Befriend the soldier, get him off alone. You know, like, yeah, yeah, I'll carry your pack. That's cool. Let's go. Let's actually, let's go this way. I know a faster route. Right? And then, like, knife into ribs. You know, like, there was, like, Jesus doesn't say push back violently. Don't take revenge. You know what? Just go an extra mile, baby. Just keep going. Oh, oh, you're supposed to have to stop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're gonna, <laughs> we're going to keep going. And, this, I mean, the, the soldier, I don't know what the scenario would have played out exactly like. I'm sure there would have been confusion, right? What, uh, what is this guy, like, playing with me? Is he just being kind? Is he trying to get, like, get me into a fight? Like, you got to stop. you got to stop. No, I'm just going to keep going, man. love you. Let's just keep going. It's brilliant. It doesn't change the war. It doesn't overdo occupation in an instant. It didn't all of a sudden shift every bit of like brokenness in the system, but it reclaimed the humanity of the person being oppressed. It said, I'm actually gonna honor the image of God in you, my enemy, because this is all couched under loving your enemy. These are specific examples underneath the macro command. Love your enemy. Love your enemy. So if we're to love even our oppressors, love those who come at us, but Jesus' call, sometimes these passages are confused with sort of a, a passivity. Like a don't do anything. Yeah, if someone did mile. Just just go an extra mile just for the heck of it. Yeah, when someone like, you know, goes to slap your cheek, just let him hit you again. Right? If someone steals your cloak. Hey, give him some more stuff. As if this was just like roll over and play dead. No, no, no. This is a is aggressive nonviolence this is both honoring the image of god and not having vengeance and not returning evil for evil not becoming the monster of the very monster that you see in front of you this is a third way this is a third way he's seizing moral initiative the world we live in, I would humbly submit to you, suffers from a lack of imagination. And when we suffer wrong, there are two approaches we usually take. We do nothing, which is pacifism. We turn the other cheek. We take it. Yeah, God loves you. Like Jesus gave my spine to somebody else. You know, this is not what Jesus is advocating. Or the second thing is we strike back. We pick up the sword and we swing we make preemptive strikes, even if we think the, the the violence might be coming. These implications move from both the individual to the global. We say, let me tell you about those gossips so I can you know, pray for them better. Let, let, let me come after them. Let me retaliate in the way they're doing. If they're doing this to me. I'm going to hit back. And Jesus, in a way, is saying, at that moment, you have lost. You have missed the point. You have, you, have, you have stepped out of the way of Jesus. He's giving us a third way. Walter Wink coined this phrase, a third way, third way theology. Jesus gives us imagination. Now, at some point, I'm assuming the Romans are picking up on all these like Jewish peasants going around turning cheeks and getting naked and carrying packs, right? At some point, like they, like oh yeah, here comes another Jew thinking he's all clever. And, and so, throughout history, I encourage you to read a great book, *History of Nonviolence*. I meant to get some copies. I'll try to get them. Uh, just the stories of people who have. Uh, in, gone against oppressive power who have moved against the brokenness of the world. And this is on like a macro level. right? It's really easy to talk about this way up here. And we could get, have all sorts of conversations. Have a big Q&A on just war theory versus nonviolence and pacifism. Should we have gone into that war? There's fascinating discussion and I love that stuff so please buy me a beer and I will talk your ear off. It probably doesn't sound how, like, fun to anybody. But There's implications not only for the big, but there's implications for right here in our city. There are implications for the day-to-day, for what it means to be a people full of imagination, who when we are being kicked on, oppressed, when we see systems of oppression, that we would be the kind of people that do not strike back. This is Dr. King's movement. This is why he is praised. Because we go, here is someone who accomplished so much, while honoring the image of God and his oppressor. Here is someone who wanted to see love change everyone. This is somebody who realizes the power of the cross. It takes quite a spine to turn the other cheek. It takes phenomenal fortitude to love your enemy and it takes firm resolve to pray for those, Paul says, who persecute you. Jesus commands us to hold out the possibility that the aggressor, that the enemy, that the gossip, that the jerk, that the political party, that the news organization, (laughs) that whatever it is may have a change of heart. It doesn't roll over, but it does not return fire in the way that they are being fired on. The third way demonstrates creativity and courage. Is there a third way here today for you and your personal relationships and the broken systems you see around you? Can we do things differently? To live gently, to live like this in a violent world is absolutely countercultural, and it is the way of Jesus from the very beginning. This is not something, by the way, for me, and those of you who know me well know I- I've been on this train for a long time. I have major questions around what it means to be engaged in some of the most broken, consumeristic, militaristic systems. I have major questions: how how do I be a faithful follower of Jesus, right? How do I love my enemy and still be sometimes okay with killing them? Like I, I I wrestle with this stuff, and I'm, just, I'm t- sharing that with you not as a distraction. I'm sharing that with you because I am not prone to this. I am I like to blame it on my Irish blood. I'm a little bit violent. Like I, I have a, an edge to me that's like justice, right? Like make things right. I've joked about this before. Whether it's like weird road rage that strikes up when someone doesn't use a crosswalk, you know, or just like bizarre, like just desire, like if like I don't know, the house isn't quite clean and it's an unjust, unfair thing, and Corey was supposed to do it. Like what is going on? Like it's like it's like a meter, like a red meter, like the rage, like just building up in me. Like I am not by nature, a very gentle person. And I think a lot of us struggle with this. And this, to me, of all the reasons, is the power of this cross. Why people have been wearing this, different, even different faith systems. This has endured this image of reconciliation for centuries. This picture of the cross, where we're told all these things in the scriptures about what the cross meant, That Jesus somehow on the cross, it says, made a spectacle of the Roman Empire. How on earth did Jesus make a spectacle, like make an embarrassment? He showed them for what they were. How could he have done that when he got killed? Because he lives this perfect life. He's this way of love. And then he is put up upon the worst thing that humanity has probably ever come up with on how to kill somebody. And in that moment, one of the writers reflecting on the meaning of what has just happened says, He has made a spectacle of the power. He's shown them for what they are. Paul kind of like puts this and brings this into community. He says, "Um, love your enemies, and by loving your enemies, leave judgment to God, and you'll heap burning coals on their head. How does like loving your enemy and like just like taking it or like kind of only responding in these kinds of Jesus ways and walking away? How on earth does that heap burning coals on someone's head? How does that shame them? Like It just shows them for what they are. Have you ever had someone come at you and you didn't respond the way that they thought you'd respond? Have you ever had that happen? It's usually often like with a stranger. Right? Like someone like bumps you and they turn around and they're all like ticked. Right? Or they almost like hit you in their car and they like, I don't know, they like kind of flick you off and slow down or something like that. Have you ever had something like this happen? No, I just have a really weird life. Anyway, these moments where someone comes at you and you don't respond in the way that, like, you do not return bird for bird, right? You all of a sudden are like, hey, man. I I remember this story. I don't know what came over me. This is, like, my belief in the Holy Spirit. I have moments where I'm like, I am a flaming Pentecostal because I realize God sometimes just goes, Like, I'm going to let you do this, Andrew. This is what it means to, like, be faithful. And so I'm walking with my buddy Chris, walking in Dover, New Hampshire. Shout out to Dover, New Hampshire. Um... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I was just hoping some random person would be like, Dover! <laughs> he goes and he turns. So we, we, um, we see these, these kids and they're throwing rocks, just like humming rocks onto the street. And Chris almost gets struck. And so Chris is like a very, like, peaceable guy. He's got good, like, head on shoulders. You know, like, his blood only, like, it doesn't boil ever. You know, it's a nice medium, nice warm bath temperature. And me, and I'm not even the one who almost got hit. He's the one who almost got hit. Guess who the person was who got, like, enraged? Yeah, this guy. <laughs> Side story to that story. My mom, <laughs> stay with me. My, my mom, this just gives you a little insight into the weirdness of your pastor. My mom is the uh, principal of a, or sorry, she's a teacher at a school. And the joke is that this school is that if you have a problem with like the principal, or a problem with something that's happening in the school system as a teacher, go to Mary. That's my mom. Go to Mary. Tell her about it in a really just like emotional way, and within like a day or two, she will actually do your dirty work for you because she'll be so enraged by what's happening. So that's the joke, Mary. And I am my mother's child. So anyway, rocks are thrown. Chris is like, ah, whatever, stupid kids. You know, high schoolers just being high school, whatever. And I'm like, no. So I like shout, I'm like, like I, I don't know what I yell, like knock it off or something like that. Like it wasn't anything awful, it was just like a knock it off, I didn't retaliate in any crazy way. So I mentioned this because they're throwing rocks, we turn a corner, a block, and all of a sudden up ahead of us, these kids have run across and are now in front of us. Awesome. Now I'm like, really, you're going to pick a fight with us? We're college students. Like, you know... <laughs> And so they're like giving a slip, what are you saying? I'm like, you're throwing rocks at people. He's like, who the F are you? They're not even listening to us. They just want to get into a fight. And so I, try, I look at this one kid. I'm like, dude, you are such a cute little child. Just get out of here. That's the phrase I say, which was really nice of me to say. So he's not going to hit me back. He really was much smaller than me, and I'm not a big guy. So they're like, you know, give one final F you and then walk away. We keep going. I don't know how, I can't remember exactly how long it was, maybe two three minutes. Somebody we hear a car come squealing up. And of course, it's like a bad movie. This kid has what? An older brother. Older brother, not so small. He gets out of the car. He doesn't even have a conversation. I actually admire this. He just walks up to me and he punches me in the face. <laughs> Straight up. He just walks just gets out of the car. He walks up to me. He's like, "Hey." I'm like, "Hey, what's your problem?" Smoke and in this moment, to go back to my Pentecostal moment, Holy Spirit, this sounds like a dove. And I just look back at him. I'm like, I was so thrown off. I'm like, hey, what's up? And the kid is like, what is wrong with this dude? Like his, the look on his face was like, I don't, I'm, I'm going to go now. Like, like he was waiting for a fight. He's got like his boys behind him. And I'm just like, yeah, what? Dude, I didn't mean any harm. Your brother was throwing rocks at us. Like, nothing but love. I say, nothing but love. And I reach out to shake his hand, and he shook my hand back. <laughs> Mind you, this is, like, with the, I'm pretty positive within 60 seconds. Next time Chris comes back to, to teach, I'll, I'll ask him to make sure I'm, like, this story is told correctly. But it was crazy. And I realized in that moment, this is the power of what happens when we actually begin to choose another. He, Jesus somehow on the cross he's, he made a public spectacle. By loving your enemies you heat burning coals on there. You actually give the, the oppressor the person who's hurt you an opportunity to shift. He was so thrown off I'm convinced he left feeling kind of like an idiot. And I don't mean that in some kind of ha ha I got him back way. I mean that in like hey there's actually a way to respond to things differently. And I say that I am an intent, like a very violent person. That's not a pat on the back story again. That's a Good Lord, thank you, Jesus, for saving me, for getting my ass beat. The cross is about somebody, who the worst that humanity could throw at it was done to him, and it wasn't the end of the story. The cross has been a picture of reconciliation, peace, and hope for so many. Colossians one19 I'm going to start to land the plane, and then I'm going to invite up a very special guest Colossians 119, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. That's Jesus. So apparently everything that God is like we can see in Jesus. That's why, again, the Christian story, we begin and end with Jesus. What's God like? God is like Jesus. And so we read back into the Old Testament, grumpy God, and we go, what is God doing and how is God meeting humanity where, he's, where it's at in these stories? And then how do we see this unfold in the New Testament and now? Because this is the, the pinnacle. Because Jesus, the scriptures say Jesus came at the culmination of the ages. The fullness to reveal to us the fullness of what God is like. Do you want to know what God's like? He's, he's imaginative. He's creative. He's throwing out things like this. He's dying for his enemies. He's loving people. He's washing the feet of those he came to save. This is what our God is like. The fullness of God dwells in him. And through him, to reconcile himself all things, whether things in heaven and in earth, by making peace The word here would be shalom, through his blood shed on the cross, this concept of shalom. Jesus is somehow in the cross, and then in his resurrection, he is reconciling to himself. He is like making things right with everything. He is announcing a new way that we can join in with the way of Jesus and reconciling all things back to himself. And he says, by making peace, shalom. Shalom is like everything right in the world. It's the Radiohead song. Everything in its right place. It's rightness with each other. It's rightness with God. It's rightness with the land. It's, it's things the way they are meant to be. It's the primal cry of every human being who's ever walked the face of the earth, ever Everything in its right place. It's the moral arc of the universe bending towards this, that this somehow God will culminate. And so as the church experiences, as a body of followers of Jesus, experience peace with each other, as we experience what it means to be reconciled to each other, reconciled to our past we then begin to understand what it means to bring peace to the world. If we don't have a culture of peacemaking, of rightness here in our own community, how can we turn and begin to export that for the benefit of our city? We as a church exist for the benefit of our city. God wants to reconcile to himself all things. He wants to reconcile the 1 billion people who don't have clean drinking water, the 2.6 billion people who don't have adequate sanitation, the 700 to 800 million who are hungry due um, to, 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 to major food insecurity. The 2.2 billion children, uh, one bill- of the 2.2 billion children, we have one who live in poverty, absence of basic necessities. Two billion people with no electricity. 80% living in substandard housing. One billion who cannot read or sign their own name. The wealthiest 1% have the same net worth as the poorest 57%. One billion people living off of less than a dollar a day. Two billion people more, less than two dollars a day. This is not shalom. This is violence in the world and we recognize our own violence in our own heart. We recognize that just as there are systems out there that are broken and beyond us, that we somehow are also culpable. On some way we, 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 we participate. So to be a peacemaker isn't just the annoying coworker, worker It isn't just the person that has frustrated you. It isn't just MSNBC or Fox or whatever your poll is politically. Like, it isn't just that. It's not just making peace and loving your enemy there. It's recognizing that there is a peacemaking edge of what it means to engage the brokenness of the systems in the world and in our own city. And so I have a really special guest to invite up. Uh, I'm going to have him come up and, and share for a little bit, and then I'm going to close us close off, and we have a really special sending. Uh, this is T- uh, Tenny. Where's Tenny at? Tenny, come on up. Uh, Tenny, I, I should have asked for, like, a better blurb, but you're the director of all things nonviolence and awesome in this city. Uh, he'll, he'll better explain um, who he is and what he's doing. He's part of the Institute uh, for Nonviolence in the City and I've had the opportunity that from a distance to see the incredible work that they have done. Uh, and I wanted him to share with us uh, what nonviolence um, looks like uh, in this city and the work that they are doing uh, and the opportunity that we have to partner with people in our city who are doing some beautiful work. Would you give a huge round of applause to Tenny?
1: Arsenal is leading 1-0 against Manchester City, in case you you're already missing anything. I got an update from my kid. It's good to be here. It's a great place. Andrew, thanks for this work. Um, city and live in the city, if you live love cities, it's about community, right? And in many odd ways, I'm connected to, to different works here. I'm an Israeli, Serbian, Croatian origin went to Harvard Divinity School and went to RISD, and sorry, Museum School, your competitor, sorry. But uh, so I can feel the life, I can feel the joy here. I've been involved, like Andrew's background actually, Belgrade, the capital of Serbia, was created by Celtic monks. That's why we can drink you out of the table. <laughs> um, and trained at a very young age, actually. With our own hands, at 14, Krav Maga already takes someone's life. So those impulses are within us. Um, And ended up here uh, in Boston first for 10 years, working as a street worker when we had 152 homicides. And we brought it down to 31. And if we can go to the next slide, you won't really be able to see it, but... Black men are 6% of the population, but 50% of the homicide victims in the United States. Most of us have a chance of four in 100,000 to be killed in a homicide. But places like Rochester Crescent, which is their hotspot, young black men are killed at a rate of 520 per 100,000. 65 times the national average. Think about this last number, one in 200 young black men is killed every year. Think about that for a second, one in 200. So I always say there's two Americas. There's my America where my kids, I'm worried about which college they're getting into. And then there's too many mothers in inner cities who mother worries, is my kid going to get to a college age? not to college. And that's very heavy and we struggle with it. And very often, young activists, we would like to organize against police brutality and things like that. We're missing the point. The police are garbage cleaners, like us street workers. We deal with the worst moments of people's lives. But the cops are sent there to contain something that the rest of us haven't had the courage to deal with. For the last 15 years, we have decimated the Recreation Department in Providence. There's more than $150 million sitting in Google Settlements between the Attorney General, the State Police, and two other cities that could endow the Recreation Department when this beautiful music could be performed at every rec center and math and literacy and jazz could be taught, simple and cheap. But we often get distracted. Oh, those cops are racist. Well, some of them are. Some of them are upset. Some of them deal with everyday terrible calls. A cop might see a homicide, but before that, they might have seen a child molestation on the same day, and a woman trying to cut her throat. And I am actually quoting what I've seen with them in one day. So the Institute has five programs. We put some background materials for you there. We do nonviolence. We teach Kingian nonviolence. We have street workers. Many of them are former gang members who are now peacemakers. We do re-entry, we do employment and education, and we work with victims. We have victim services. Any homicide in Rhode Island doesn't matter class, race, city becomes a client of the institute. We respond 200 times a year to Rhode Island Hospital. It's the fifth busiest emergency room in the United States. We do 400 visits because our victim services follow our street workers into the hospital. That's absorbing a lot of toxicity that is the result of our larger failures. But I'm not here to depress you. We can solve that. We can deal with it. We just got to have the right adjustments. And we have the power to organize and change and invest in young people and do justice and create shalom. Shalom. So the Institute is formed in a bit like this church. The programs I mentioned very quickly, they're not really that important. Even though the Rhode Island Foundation wants us to measure and everything is about impact, that's really neoliberal power imposing on us. We refuse to succumb to that. What really is important is that we deliver one thing, and that is kindness. That is the only thing. And the Institute treats its ex-offenders as well as its college-educated staff as this is the asset, that is the gold. My main job and the funder's main job is not really how, what are we doing for the kids out there on the streets. It is what are we doing for the people taking care of those kids. They will know what to do. They need to be supported. So as an example, we have an interest-free loan to our staff of $1,000 because if you spend 13 years in jail for murder, you do not have credit history. So if you're facing your car is broken and you have to pay child support, we don't want you to be completely paralyzed and fearful, again, of lack of stability. And we do that around the country. We help Chicago. I'm next week in Baltimore and New York and Oakland. That we really start. We have, unfortunately, the largest population of people who are in jail on the planet. And that's a workforce that many of them want to be peacemakers. They've been caught, you know, if you follow Michelle Alexander's out of White happened, that's beyond today's scope. But we have a lot of amazing peacemakers. We trained in Belfast. Obviously, I was part of the Israeli peace camp eventually after I left the army. A lot of warriors, because they've seen the horror of war, are actually very committed peacemakers. And it's a beautiful potential, but we stayed the long term. Seven of our staff now who have been to jail are now completing college through a program at the institute, investing in people long term, not quick solution, quick fixes, right? So we were talking about what maybe would be the call to this beautiful community. Maybe you'll train with Sal, who spent 13 years in maximum security and is our main trainer. To be trained in nonviolence. Just so, none of us at the Institute we always say is nonviolent. We're just struggling in many broken ways to to live through those principles and through this power. And I love the sermon here, because that is exactly right. If you go and see Selma, many people think, oh, King was a sellout. He wasn't as radical as the group I love, snakes student nonviolence organizing committee. But King Incredible genius. Last night I was shopping at Shaws for food, and I have in my earphones from my iPhone one of his sermons, always. And I just listen. Unbelievable, intelligent. But he balanced the needs of the presidency, and Edgar Hoover, and Snake, and white supremacists. Being in the middle of the storm, he praise, placed himself to deliver something, not perfect, but deliver something that will make life better for many Many and show us sometimes and many through the example of nonviolence. Though many of them in the movement were protected by guns and people who had guns. It's a complicated history. But he managed to deliver progress. But we in many ways have slid back. Today American schools are more segregated than when he was killed. There's still a lot of work to be done. Let's do it together. Thank you for having me here today.
0: Thank you so much. Tenny is gonna be in the back. Please uh, grab a brochure, the paper's in the back as you go out, um, connect with him. Uh, You can go onto their website. We want um, to to partner in a more strategic way uh, with what they're doing. Uh, and one way we're going to get to do that, and I'm going to explain in a second, is a portion of our giving today is actually going to go to support the work that they're doing, which I'm so excited. We, as a community, uh, not only want to give to provide for the needs here and for the things that uh, we believe we've been called to do in the city, but we want to partner with folks that are just doing a beautiful job in other sectors uh, of, uh, of, our, of our city. Um, so I'm really excited about that. Um, I want to I just end with a reminder. Um, Two reminders. One, uh, this is a great quote from Tim Keller that will be on the screen. I I wanted to mention this because, again, for many of us as followers of Jesus, the call to be peacemakers, the call to be proactive in dealing with the brokenness and the systems that we see around us, um, it stems not just from amazing teaching or not just from beautiful concepts, not from tried and true or very messy, as, as as Tenny pointed out, concepts that are really difficult to live out, but from, from a central understanding of what's happening in our own heart. If we are not at peace, if we don't have a central uh, narrative and understanding of what's happening. And so for those of us who are here who are followers of Jesus, a reminder that it is our understanding that, that what's at the center of the universe is... Uh, many have pointed out, um, is love. And that there's a, a, a central place of, of grace. That in the cross, um, somehow uh, all of our brokenness has been reconciled. That one of the core psychological human angsts is that, like, who am I and what is my identity? And Jesus answers that with saying you are loved exactly where you are that my grace is for you. There's nothing that you can do, no act of nonviolence, no giving to the poor. There's no, no kind of sense of altruism that, that elevates you, that makes you worth more. You are loved because you are human, because of what I have done for you, because of my movement toward you. This is grace, accepting what is true about you, about who I say you are. And if we were to understand that, that God has poured that grace not just on me, but on everyone, not just on the people that I think are good, but on everyone, that grace is available, that it changes things. It changes what's happening in our own heart. Tim Keller says this, if a person has grasped the meaning of God's grace in his heart, he will do justice, not wrath. If a person doesn't love their enemy, it reveals that at best, they don't understand the grace they have experienced. And at worst, they have not really encountered the saving mercy of God. Grace should make you loving, period. And so, might we as a people, might we as a people, step up to, uh, to take hold of um, the resources that Tenny has laid out for us. May we as a people think of the conflicts that are happening in our own life right now, the places where we need to make peace with our family, with our neighbors with our friends. may we not leave here. May we not leave this day. May we not put our head down on our pillow tonight without beginning that process of making peace. May we wake up to the availability of God's grace. May we be a people that say yes. May people's people say yes to the love of God. I want us to take a moment and kind of circle back to this ima- this call to imagination that Jesus gives us in the Sermon on the Mount. This call to a prophetic engagement of the brokenness around us. And might we just sit with this and just ask a couple questions. Would you pray with me? God, if there are things that you um, are kind of stirring in our heart, things that we should be about, if there's like a man, I really just want to get home because i got to get ready for the game, but I really would love to know more about how I can partner with Tenny. Might, might, we just, might the conviction come over us, Lord, to, to, to be faithful to what you've put in our heart. If you've put the name of an enemy, the name of, of, a, of a, maybe it's just a system, maybe we're like the most hateful social media Facebook people on the face of the earth. We're like always picking a fight. We're putting up more walls than we are reconciling people. God, might you breathe your reconciliation and peace into each one of us. Might we remember what you have done for us. We are were, we were enemies, it says of God, and you met us. By nature, just our, our, our whole posture is bent away from the things of life and you have called us back. We leave room just for a moment just to reflect on what is the invitation right now for each one of us. Dr. King reminds us that darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can. Hate cannot drive out hate, but only love can. This is the call of the peacemaker. This is the call of the peacemaker. This is believing in the Christian story that the moral arc of the universe bends towards justice that God will definitively make all things new and we get to partner, join in, speed the coming of that rightness here and now. That we pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, your peace, your way now. In the messiness and violence of our own heart, in the messiness and violence of our relationships, in the messiness and violence of our streets, in the messiness and violence of racism, the messiness and the violence of broken systems that we have a hard time grasping and the messiness and violence of war. God, I pray that when there is conflict and violence and there is brokenness, and when there is a need for reconciliation, Lord, that officials and, and leaders say, we gotta call in the Christians. We gotta call in the folks who understand in their heart what peacemaking looks like. We've got to call in those with the spirit of Dr. King who've been inspired by this Jesus. And so we pray, Lord today, a blessing on all people who are participating in the movement of peacemaking in this world, over the Institute and all that they are doing over the organ- over the work at URI, Lord of uh, I think of Lauren Fisk from in our community. Lord, and just the work that you've, you've given her to participate in this, of those who've been called to care for the impoverished, for Lauren and, and the work going on with Homework Club, Lord, for, for Jess Harkins and the work she's doing and wanting to come around the sex trafficking in our state. Lord, for all those who have a heart for justice and peacemaking, Lord, we pray uh, that they, they, we would be led by whoever, Lord, would would help lead us into the way of you. In your name we pray.